Uh, Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the paramiles uh, coming back safely. We thank you for Peter being delivered safely. We, uh, thank you for all the blessings you've given us uh, through Jesus Christ. We pray that you would bless us this morning with vibrant worship, that your Holy Spirit would awaken us, uh, and that as we hear the word, Lord, you would activate it in our hearts. Amen. Uh, so this morning, I'm going to, we're going to go backwards. I'm going to preach on our scripture readings, which we haven't read yet. We'll read them later, but we'll read them this morning so we know what we're talking about. Uh, it's going to, be, going to be in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to explain a little bit of the church calendar. Who knows what season we're in? Anybody who's not from an Anglican background? Anybody? Going once? That's Epiphany. Yes. Yeah. You could also look on your bulletin, in case you were wondering. It's the uh, first Sunday after Epiphany. And so, in the church calendar, Christmas runs until January 5th. There's 12 days of Christmas. Uh, it's not just a catchy song. There is, some, there is a legitimacy to it. So Christmas always runs until January 5th uh, in our calendar. And, and Kyle reminded me that on, in the Orthodox Church, they do not follow the Gregorian calendar. They follow the Julian calendar, which is always like 12 days behind. And so today is the Orthodox Christmas. So Merry Christmas to you out there. And, um, and so Christmas and the church calendar runs until January 5th, and then Epiphany is on January 6th, which is uh, also called Theophany. Uh, it's, a, it's a revelation, it's a revealing of Christ. It's often thought of that that's when the Magi actually presented themselves to, uh, to Christ. Um, I don't know if that's we don't know if that's true. We don't really get a timeline in Scripture or from early church history of, of when the, the wise men, when the Magi visited uh, our Lord, but that's what we chose, and that's what we do. And so, uh, so now we're in Epiphany time, or Epiphany tide, uh, which goes, there's six weeks in Epiphany, and then the final uh, Sunday being the Transfiguration, Transfiguration Sunday on February 11th. And so in Epiphany, we're celebrating and looking at Christ being revealed. And so it would make, it wouldn't do us any good if Christ didn't reveal himself as Lord, as God, if he didn't have an earthly ministry, if he didn't, if we didn't know about him, if he didn't reveal himself and make himself evident, then it would do us absolutely no good. And so there isn't a Bible verse that says, thou shalt follow the church calendar. There is no, that's not the 11th commandment, uh, uh, but um, one of the useful things, there is a, a commandment that says uh, they should uh, honor the, the Sabbath and, and keep it holy, and there are, in Old Testament Israel, what God was doing is, as, as he brought the people of Israel out from Egypt into the wilderness, and he gave Moses instructions on the tabernacle, and as they built the tabernacle, according to the, the pattern and instructions that Moses received on the mountain, and they finished, and then the Holy Spirit descends on the temple, and everybody's plans that day were probably ruined. And they're like, well, we had other plans, but the Holy Spirit fell, there was the glory of the Lord, revealed himself, 
and and they just worshipped uh, even the well they worshipped outside the temple because nobody could even enter. But shortly after that, the Lord gives instructions on Sabbaths and holidays, on a type of structure, a cultural structure that would keep them rooted uh, in the scriptures, rooted in in right worship. That would be a constant reminder to bring them back to uh, remind them what the Lord has done. And so there isn't a thou shalt follow the church calendar Bible verse, but the early church followed the instructions in, in the Old Testament, and there was Passover to remind them of the Passover, there was Pentecost to remind them of the giving of the law and on Mount Sinai. There was the Day of Atonement, those were the three uh, feasts that all the men of Israel were required to be present for, and then later it's expanded to, I think there was five, like the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Booths, and, and, and some others. And and so what the early church fathers did in, in, in creating the, the church calendar and, and sectioning it on the cycle of Jesus' life and ministry is it keeps us focused on the scriptures, that we don't get to pick the scriptures. We follow a lectionary that's every three years. It goes through a cycle where we hit the majority of, or we hit every major section of the Bible um, every, if we follow it every, every three years. So it keeps us that the scriptures are driving it and not, not our own ideas. And so we don't get necessarily to pick the topics or what we're going to preach on. We have to use the scriptures at hand and, and go from there. And so this morning we're reading, uh, or this, this morning we're reading about the baptisms of the Lord. We're going to read Mark 4, I'm sorry, Mark 1, 4 through 11. <clears throat> It says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being opened up or torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And so we're going to look at the baptism of Jesus this morning. And I don't know about you. Um, I really don't know about you. But I know in my experience, I had to go searching for a sermon on Jesus' baptism that wasn't focused on it being a proof text for the Trinity. Uh, most of the time, or I'm, every time I've heard a sermon or we talk about Jesus' baptism, we see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and those are clear proof, that, that's a clear proof text of, of the three persons of the Trinity. Um, but yet, I haven't heard very much outside of that, so I had to go searching a little bit. And so you know it's something important when it's in all four Gospels. When all four Gospels talk about it, there's, it's, there's something worth exploring, and, and you might want to focus on it. Um, Yet, when Jesus comes to get baptized by John, if you read it in, in the other three Gospels, uh, 
John says, why are you, why are you getting baptized by me? I should be being baptized by you. And John's a little confused. And so if John's a little confused, it's okay if we're a little confused by it. Like, why was Jesus getting baptized? And so to put this in, in context a little bit, um, as we read through, through Advent and through Christmas time, obviously John was, was, was raised up by the Lord uh, to be a prophet, that his main goal in life, his main mission from the Lord was to proclaim the Christ, to be a forerunner, to, to point us towards this is the Christ. And so taking it a little bit farther in context, starting with Genesis, we have been looking for the one who's going to crush the serpent's head, who's going to destroy sin, set us free from captivity, who's going to be the Messiah, who's going to be, be the Christ, the one that's going to have the key to David, who's going to sit on his throne and rule over Israel. That's what all the Israelites were looking for. And the prophecies in Daniel put it about, uh, what was it, like 490, 470 years out. Uh, there's like a 50-year gap, if you read the prophecies in Daniel, that there's like a 50-year gap where they're looking, this is where the Christ is going to be. And so they're pretty, it's not just like, hey, uh, it's not just like Christians say that like Jesus is coming back and, and we know he's coming back sometime. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be in a thousand years. It could be in 10,000 years. I don't know. Uh, we're waiting and we'll see when he comes back. There are signs that might show us, but, but they knew a 50-year gap about um, when the Christ would arrive. And that's why there's so many um, other false Christs that are, that are out there. There was uh, Barabbas being one. There was... Um, and Christ warned that in, to his disciples that be careful that there's going to be many false Christs that are going to lead you astray. And so they knew that they were looking, and it was the time of the Christ, and this is what their whole hope and expectation was. And there were people who were really longing to, to see the Messiah. There were at least two people that get mentioned in the beginning of the gospel that well, sure, everybody. There was, uh, there was Zechariah, there was, uh, there was Anna, the prophetess. Um, and so there was a lot of, everybody was kind of expecting it and expecting the Christ to come. And so John comes baptizing in the Jordan River where the Israelites crossed over, where God brought them out of at the pinnacle after Moses' uh, uh, leadership ended and Joshua's started and they were coming into the promised land. And they, God miraculously splits the waters and, and takes them across. And, and I'm not sure. They set up 12 stones as a pillar, as an altar, to remind them. I don't know if that's where John was baptizing. I don't know if that stone structure still existed because of the exile. It doesn't make mention to it. But, but surely they would have been reminded of God's miraculously saving his people, bringing them out of the desert through trials and into the promised land. And this is where God is telling John to baptize people. And one of the things that's interesting, if you read it, I think it's in Matthew, uh, they, the, the Jewish leaders are a little confused with John's baptism also. They say, are you Elijah? And he's like, no. Uh, they're asking John, are you Elijah? He's like, no. Are you the prophet? He's like, no. Then why are you baptizing? And he doesn't say, well, let me tell you something. And he says, 
well, there's one greater than me coming, and I'm baptizing you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so uh, even the Jew, there was something about baptizing, about this covenant, this ritual cleansing, that was like the, even the Jewish leaders didn't expect just anybody to do it. They expected it to, to be uh, Elijah who's prophesied in Malachi, who's going to announce the Christ, or the prophet that's going to come and, and announce the Christ. And uh, apparently John was maybe himself a little confused. I'm not sure, but he says he's not. And then Jesus later says he is Elijah, if you're willing to accept it. And so um, do whatever you want with that. But, uh, but even the Jewish leaders were like, why are you baptizing? Why are you here in the Jordan baptizing? That's not something that just like anybody's doing. And what John was preaching wasn't just a, uh, come on and have your best life now. God loves you. Come on in. Let's cleanse you in the waters. He's going to bless you. Right? He said, who told you to flee from the wrath to come? Who told you? God is separating. The Christ is going to come and it's going to be on his threshing floor, and he's going to crush the grain, and he's going to take the grain, and he's going to burn the chaff. Come on in. <laughs> Come on in. Let's get you wet. Right? He wasn't, he was preaching, it was, a, it was a baptism of repentance. And what the Lord is ordaining through John, obviously he wanted that, that there would be a pattern that as the gospel is preached, as there's a message of repentance that you get cleansed from sin. He did say the baptism was for forgiveness of sins. And, well, not just for him to announce the Christ, but as Jesus starts his ministry and the inauguration of, of the kingdom of God being here through Christ, that you're going to come in through preaching, through repentance, through baptism, through forgiveness of sins, and that's going to be how... Uh, Jesus is coming into his ministry and, 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 and bringing forth the kingdom. And, and so uh, John even says, like, we don't, like, uh, God could raise up children from these stones, right? Don't presume that you have your Jewish heritage, that you have just, don't presume that you're sons of Abraham, by your genealogy, by your lineage, by what you did or what your forefathers did or what Abraham did, don't presume you're going to be the wheat and not the chaff because I made a decision when I was four and I got baptized as a baby and I got baptized as a baby and I got baptized when I was like 25 and I got baptized when I was like 28 and I got baptized a few times. But... Not that I suggest that either, but don't presume that you're the sons of Abraham based off of some kind of physical characteristic or your genealogy. He said, uh, repent and believe. That's how you're going to come into God's kingdom. That's, that's going to be the proof of when God gathers, when Christ gathers uh, the wheat and, and casts out the chaff, the chaff it's going to be based on faith, on repentance and and belief, because he doesn't need you. He doesn't need Abraham to, like, Abraham, please, please uh, keep having children and keep having Jewish descendants because I need somebody on this line, and please don't mess that up. Uh, God's not worried about that. John says he could turn stones into worshipers. He doesn't need your lineage. Uh, although um, Paul of Romans says it's a blessed thing to be 
have a Jewish lineage and have the law and have, have uh, the lineage of Abraham. That's a blessed thing. But with more, um, more responsibility comes more responsibility. <laughs> and, and so what John is preaching is this message of repentance. And it doesn't bring it out in, in Mark, but if you compare with the other, I think it's in Luke, uh, he's preaching to people, and they're like, so what are we supposed to do? And he's like, well, if you have two tunics, share one. Be generous, right? If you are a tax collector, don't over-exhort or ever overextend and don't collect more than you have to, right? That's a good message for our government. He told the soldiers, if you're a soldier, don't extort extra money. Just be content with what you have. Don't be greedy. Right? And he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. This is the message that Christ wanted preached as he starts his message, which was uh, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's what John preached. That's what Jesus preached. And that's what the apostles preached. And so... Uh, we don't come into the kingdom a separate way. God didn't ordain that, that John preached a message of repentance and baptism and, and faith, and now we do it some other way. And, and so you see that, that, that repentance and the belief, repent and believe, is constantly preached over and over together in, in Scripture. And so what John's saying in his message and what he's preaching at the Jordan as he's baptizing people and, and getting ready to announce the Christ is he's saying you can't come to God, you can't be in his kingdom and hold your sins in one hand and come in Christ's kingdom in the other. You can't grasp these sins in your hand and hold on to them tightly and grasp Christ. You can't have that. You can't come to Christ with your lust. You can't come to Christ with your sexual immorality. You can't come to Christ with your laziness, with your idolatry, with your drunkenness. You can't come to Christ holding on to your sins and loving those and love Christ. All right, later in Luke uh, 6.46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Right? Uh, that's a good line if you switch it a little bit for your parents. Why do you call me Dad, dad, and not do what I tell you. <laughs> That's a good one for your kids. Right? Why do you want to say I'm Lord, is what Jesus says, but you don't want to make me Lord? Why do we profess that we love Jesus, but not follow his commandments? Right? You can't have both. You can't love God and not follow his commandments. You can't love God and, and diminish uh, his commandments, and, and you certainly can't come to Christ holding on to those things. And that's the, that's the way into the kingdom, and that's the way to mature in the kingdom. And so you can't come to Christ with repentance and not belief either. You can't come to Christ without faith and that he's entrusted in his works, and, and you can't can't just do it by works, and I can repent, and I can get rid of my sins, and I can forsake these things, but not put my trust in Christ. That's a religion of works, right? You would say, I don't need Christ. But you can't come and have faith without repentance either. You can't come and say, I believe in Christ, and I love him, and I want to follow him, and I want to keep my sins also, right? 
Uh, you can't have it either way. You have to repent and believe. And, and so he's, uh, when John's saying bear fruit in keeping with your repentance, there's a real fruit that comes with repentance. And in in repentance being a, a mind shift of, I'm not going to follow this anymore. I'm going to follow this. And God created the universe in such a way that there's no real vacuums. You're either in or you're out, or you're up or you're down, or you're left or you're right. And there's not really too many like real in-between vacuums. It's either one way or the other. You're either in the kingdom or you're out of the kingdom, right? And, and so when repentance being, I'm, I'm facing this way, now I'm facing this way. I was holding on to my sins, now I'm holding on to Christ. I believed in my own works, I trusted in my own works, now I trust in Christ. And so there has to be real fruit that comes with that. And that's how you could know if there's real repentance, if there's fruit, right? Whatever we plant, we should expect to see that kind of harvest. If I plant uh, cucumbers, I should expect to see cucumbers. I would be really surprised if I grew dandelions, like, I thought I was planting cucumbers, uh, and I got dandelions. But that's the way I think a lot of us get surprised of, oh, I don't know why I'm getting all these thorns and thistles and things in my life. Well, what are you planting, right? If you plant bitterness, if you plant divisiveness, if you plant self-righteousness, if you plant sloth, if you plant sexual morality, right, what are you going to get? You're going to get more of the same thing. And so there has to be fruit in keeping with repentance. And, uh, you know, as, as good reformers, kind of pointing back to when we think of Luther's 95 Theses, the very first one he lists is that when our Lord said to repent, it is to be a life of repentance. It's not a, I trusted on this decision, I did an altar call, I got baptized, I really followed Christ, like, oh man, I was really at it five years ago. Eh, not so much now, right? I had a lot of zeal when I came to Christ. Nah, but you know, we all grow up, and we have kids, and we get busy, and, and we make excuses. It's supposed to be a lifestyle of repentance, because sin doesn't just like usually uh, smack you in the face and say, "Hey, I'm here. You wanna, you wanna go worship other gods? You wanna live a slothful lifestyle? You wanna have apathy? You wanna go into the sexual immorality? You wanna, uh, you wanna just do that?" It's usually a creeping in. It's a slow process to gain control over your life. And so, same thing with bearing fruit and keeping with repentance. Usually when I plant something or when my wife plants something in our garden in the spring, I don't go out the next day and be like, where's the, where's the harvest? You said we were gardening. I go to the store. I just pick them up. I just pick up the cucumbers. Why can't we do that? Right? When you, it's, a, it's a lifestyle. It's an ongoing. It's a, it's a work. And so a lifestyle of repentance is what our Lord is going after. It's not, a, it's not a one time, it's not a one time come to John's baptism and repent of your sins and get cleansed and there really is a cleansing and then go do whatever you want. Just go live your life. It's a lifestyle of repentance because he says there's one who's going to come and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit 
and fire. And so, you know, if, if we want to see miracles, if we want to see God work in miraculous ways, if we want to see Christ do what he did in the Gospels, if we want to see him cast out demons and heal the sick and, and cleanse people and see people's life changed, well, we'd probably start with repentance. We'd probably start with, with putting away the, the things of this world, getting rid of our idolatry, getting rid of our sloth, getting rid of uh, whatever has got a grip on us. And so when John says uh, he, he sees Christ coming, and he says, not in, not in Mark, he says this in, I believe, Matthew or Luke uh, or John, now that I think about it, I don't remember which, it's one of the Gospels. He says, behold, like this is the Lamb of God that takes away sin, the sin of the world. And he, he professes and reveals that this is the Christ. This is who we've been waiting for. This is the guy that's going to do it. He's going to set us free. This is the lamb that's, that's going to get sacrificed. He's going to baptize with us with fire and the Holy Spirit. And so, why was Jesus getting baptized? <laughs> he doesn't need, he hasn't got no sin, right? He comes to John and, and John's like, I'm not even worthy to like stoop down and untie your sandals. Why are you wanting to get baptized. This is a baptism of repentance. You don't have any sin. You don't need to get baptized into repentance. What are you going to repent of, right? And, uh, and Jesus doesn't argue with them a whole lot. I think it's in Luke. He says, suffer with this a little while. Just kind of deal with it, John. I'll explain it later is what he might be saying. And, but it's to fulfill all righteousness. And so if Christ came and just died for our sins, that would be of little benefit to us. If we had a bank account and we were in debt and it was in the red and we we're millions of dollars in debt and Christ came and paid that debt and took us to zero, we would still be at zero. And I don't have a lot to add to that account. If we didn't have anything to add to that account, we would be at zero and we'd come uh, before Christ on on Judgment Day, and he'd be like, well, what are you at? Well, you don't owe anything, but you ain't got nothing. You need at least a penny to get in. And it's not how it works, by the way. He's not asking. God's not looking at your bank account before you get into heaven, but uh, maybe your sin bank account. And, but if we had, if, if Christ just paid for our sins, and that's all that it required, he could have came down from heaven, jumped into human form, went straight to Calvary, got crucified, went back to heaven, and been like, all right, let's go. But that's not what's required. And so Christ had to live a perfect, spotless, righteous life. And that's because when God looks at our, uh, when the Father looks at Christ, he imputes all of our sin onto him. So that all of our sin on the cross was really taken away. It was really paid for. And he imputes to us, he gives to us all of Christ's righteousness. If he didn't, then we would be at zero. And that's not a great place to be at if you look at your bank account and it's at zero. That's better than a little negative sign and owing, but it's not that good either. Uh, what, but what Christ does is in fulfilling all righteousness and, and what he says in needing to get baptized is suffer this for a little while, but I'm doing it to fulfill righteousness because he's going to give, he gives us all, our, our, all of his righteousness. So when the father looks on us, all he sees, you know, when those who put their trust in Christ and, 
and really by faith, all the Father sees is Christ's righteousness, which is one reason why he got baptized. The other way is that Christ didn't come down to humanity and human flesh just for the, the sacrifice, just for this, this substitutionary atonement way. Uh, he came to lead us. He is the perfect man. He came to show us the way. And so if Christ had to go through the waters of baptism, if he had to go through a, a, a he had to inaugurate the kingdom through, through preaching, through, through a message of repentance, though he had no need of repentance, then we ought to. We ought to hear the word. We ought to hear the call of Christ. We ought to repent, bear fruit in that repentance, believe, and, and follow Christ. And so we don't have a God who's like far off, who just, he could, he could throw us the righteousness from like a really long, like from heaven and just be like, here you go, catch it, it's down there, let's keep our distance. He could. And we see that in religions like Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism where the gods or so-called gods separate themselves from humanity. They won't get close to humans. Allah won't get close to a human. He's too good for that. But we worship the God who condescends down to humanity, takes on human flesh, and then leads by example. Right? And so he went through the waters of baptism. He went through the baptism of repentance um, um, and, and inaugurated the kingdom. And he gets baptized, and you see the Father pouring out his Holy Spirit on him, just like he does us. When we repent and believe, we get water baptized, and that's not always at water baptism, but, uh, but the Lord promises to pour out his Holy Spirit on us. And so that's the God we follow, the one who's willing to come down to us, who shows himself, who condescends into human flesh, and then leads, leads by example. And if he came in to inaugurate the kingdom that way, and if, if he came into preaching in his ministry that way, surely we will too. And so God's calling us to a lifestyle of repentance, a lifestyle of belief and, and faith in Christ. And we ought to bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. And there's real ways, and that calls us to, to understand the law of God and, to, uh, and how to really make Jesus Lord. But, but this is the God we worship. He's not just throwing his righteousness at us from heaven. He's not just paying our sins from heaven and we'll get it and our account will be added and he'll Venmo us and, we'll, and then we're good and we never really have to interact and he never really has to interact with, with humanity. He's the God who, who condescends. He comes down. He leads the way. He leads by example. And his promise is if the Father poured out his Holy Spirit on his Son and we're sons of Christ, and we're heirs, he's going to give us the same thing, right? And so it's probably about time, at least in Western Christianity, that we're reminded that it's a lifestyle of repentance. We can't guarantee our, our, we can't look back five years ago, last year, on our zeal for the Lord, on our repentance, on how much I was serious about my scripture reading and seeking Christ when I became a Christian. He's calling us, to do that as a lifestyle of every day of repentance. And so as we come uh, and worship this morning, uh, let's be reminded of that and, and let's pray. Father, we pray that you would uh, call us into 
repentance, into, into deeper repentance, deeper faith that would bear fruit, or that we would, we would make you Lord in our hearts and in our lives, and you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit this morning for vibrant, lively worship. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.